Hi, this is Sean Gladding, and welcome back to the Naked Man podcast. As I write this episode, news is breaking of a first-term congressman who is being charged with fraud and theft of public funds. He's also accused of, among other things, manipulating vulnerable people into donating money to a fake charity. Sadly, it's no surprise to learn that unscrupulous people exploit elderly members of our communities for their own gain, draining their bank accounts, retirement funds, even causing them to lose their homes. The list of religious leaders who do the same may be as long as that of the politicians. One wonders how people can justify such behaviour to themselves, and maybe they don't. They just do it and have been doing so for a very long time, as we will hear in this episode. Mark woke to the sound of children playing below his window opening. He allowed himself a moment to lie on his pallet, the gentle light of the early morning sun painting the inside of his eyelids a pale red. He listened to the carefree laughter of what he assumed were Benjamin's grandchildren. He suddenly felt a solitary tear roll down his cheek, find its way between his lips, and he tasted the salt of sadness on his tongue. He knew Benjamin's delight in his grandchildren was tempered by his grief over the death of their father, but a part of him envied that grief, rooted as it was in a father's love for his son. For Mark, there had been no marriage, no children. The nature of his itinerant life, his travels with Paul and Barnabas, his support of Peter in prison, all that had precluded the possibility of settling down to family life. He had made peace with that over the years, but every now and then he felt all the losses that decision represented, and sometimes felt them keenly. Yes, Jesus had redefined the nature of family, and he had countless brothers and sisters spread throughout the empire. Siblings, yes. Children, no. As the shadows in the room grew more distinct, he chuckled. Well, he thought, even if I've not always been able to embody the way of Jesus in the manner I might hope, that is at least one thing I have in common with the Lord. He got to his feet, stretched, and went in search of something with which to break fast. Mark spent an enjoyable day with the children, and even allowed himself to be persuaded to tell them the story of how he became known as the Naked Man, at least some of the story. Miriam told him that Benjamin had arrived before dawn and asked her to host the children again. The council were meeting in his home to discuss ways to deal with the zealot problem, and as he anticipated another round of prolonged argument, as well as the presence of Simon's battle chiefs in his home, he had wanted his grandchildren to be elsewhere. He hadn't even argued when his mother told him that the ecclesia would be gathering in her home that evening. He looked and sounded so very tired, Johannan. I fear for him. I have to believe he sees the futility of all their planning. 
I don't think he truly believes that the Lord of hosts will deliver us from our Roman oppressors. Because that is what it will take for the legions outside the walls to be defeated. Daniel believes, certainly. But Benjamin, no. Mark took his mother's hand in his and gently squeezed it before rising to address the gathered ecclesia. During the week of the Passover festival, when Jesus would be crucified, he spent a great deal of time in the temple, teaching the crowds. At one point, he was confronted by the Sadducees, who verbally sparred with him. A scribe overheard that conversation and asked Jesus a question of his own. Then Jesus turned back to the crowds, and during his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like personal greetings in the marketplaces and seats of honour in the synagogues and places of honour at banquets, who devour widows' houses and, for appearance's sake, offer long prayers. These will receive all the more condemnation. That's harsh, said Adina. Jesus makes it sound like all the scribes are interested in is enjoying special privilege and status wherever they go. Well, aren't they? said Devorah. Her two companions turned to look at her, surprised by this statement from their friend who was usually so reticent to speak up. We've all seen exactly what Johannan is describing. Heads nodded in agreement around the courtyard. And where does the money come from that pays for those long robes? I'll tell you, shall I? It comes from people like my aunt Leah. When my uncle died, the village elders determined my aunt was incapable of administering their small farm, and so they made a scribe trustee of the family estate. You know, because of the scribe's reputation for piety and trustworthiness, all those long prayers in public, right? And of course, being a trustee is hard work, requiring compensation. And so the scribe received a portion of my aunt's estate. All the business was done at the village gates without her input. And that was that. Except that wasn't that. The scribe decided to leverage his newly acquired share of the farm in some other business deal, which failed. And suddenly my aunt discovered she'd lost half her land. And when she complained to the village elders, they just shrugged her off. So yes, I think it's fair to say that scribes devour widows' houses. That one certainly did my aunt Leah's. Simeon responded, I am truly sorry to hear your aunt's story, Devorah. I wish I could say it was the exception, but we know it's not. As Rachel observed last night, the scribe's public piety is all too often a thin veil for economic opportunism and exploitation. Supposedly they devote their lives to Torah observance and teaching, Yet they violate the most basic of commandments to protect orphans and widows, 
the most vulnerable among us, those lacking the protection of landowning males. Not only do they fail to protect them, they actually increase their own wealth at the expense of those very people. The scribal practices Jesus described are scandalous and antithetical to his own instruction that to be Torah observant is to choose the last place at the table over the first, to adopt the posture of servant, to make one's resources available to the vulnerable. The entire scribal class is unfit for discipleship, and why you will find none here in our midst. Such thoughts were dangerous to voice aloud, and an uncomfortable silence descended upon the courtyard. People looked to Mark for a response, but it was Adina's voice that was raised. But not all scribes are like that, surely. How is it fair for you to generalize like that? If it was possible for us to enter the temple, said Mark, then I would take you to visit the site of what took place after Jesus warned the crowds about the scribes, which may answer your question, Adina. But with the warring factions preventing us from entering the house of prayer, I'll just have to describe it for you instead. Thanks as always for listening. Between now and the next episode, perhaps you can reflect on the following questions. Do you know anyone who has been exploited in the kind of ways described in this episode? What happened and what made it possible? Do you have any thoughts about how people can justify such exploitative behaviour? What's your reaction when you hear such stories? Is this just the way things are and always will be? Or do you think there are ways to protect people from such exploitation? And if so, what are they? Until the next time.